We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. As they walk behind Jesus, imagine with me that you hear Jesus say it, and you, you can't quite figure it out. He says, go and find a colt, the foal of a donkey, and untie it. If anybody asks you, tell them the Lord has need of it. And you hear this, and you think to yourself, man, what am I missing? A baby donkey. I mean, he asked the disciples to do it, so it must be important, but you just don't understand And as you contemplate all this, you see the brothers coming and you see this baby donkey trailing behind them and you think, okay, here they are, they're coming. And it looks like the donkey has never been ridden on. It's so small. And yet this is what they bring. Man, this doesn't look like anything a king would be riding into Jerusalem, you know, victorious and overcoming on a baby donkey. And you wonder, man, am I missing something? And you decide, that you want to be in service to this new king, so you take off your cloak and you lay it on this tiny donkey and you give his little fluffy ear a scratch as you step back and then they take Jesus and they pick him up and they put him on the colt and you think, oh my gosh, he's really doing it. I can't believe it. He is finally going to tell everyone who he is and he's going to take the throne and he's the Messiah, the king sent from God and surely he's going to restore everything to us. Surely he's going to ride into Jerusalem and overthrow all the Romans have done to us and their oppression will be pushed aside and they won't surround us anymore. And he's going to ride into Jerusalem and he's going to reclaim it and tell everyone to leave us alone. You think he's going to rule over us and finally there'll be justice He's going to rule over us and finally there'll be peace. And so you grab a palm branch from a tree and you join in the many that are following and you're waving it and you say, Hosanna, save us. And you keep following and suddenly song breaks out. It's a psalm from the hymns that they used to sing of old. And he's saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And you just know he's going to restore everything and you know that he's going to give you a place in his kingdom. And just as you reach the crest of the hill, you can overlook and see all of Jerusalem before you. And you stop, wondering why you stop. You look to Jesus on his colt, and you see in the dust of his face, tears are streaking down, and you think, what is happening? And then you hear Jesus say, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And you think, what? What's he talking about? I must have misheard him because he's crying and I get it, but this can't be right. This isn't something a king would say. He's coming to fix this. 
There's not going to be enemies. There's no embankment. This can't happen. We can't be dashed to the ground. He's going to make the Romans go away. And we're not going to have enemies. And then you stop and you think to yourself, maybe I've missed something. Father, would you help us? Help us not to miss anything. Help us not to miss holy moments, those God moments you place in front of our eyes. Father, give us clear vision this morning. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what your word says to us today. And we cry, Hosanna, save us, Yahweh. Save us, Lord God Almighty. You are from the beginning and you are now and you will ever be. So we ask God, help us to see clearly this morning that we may bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated if you aren't already. This morning, I want to tell you that I'm blind. I know, it's crazy. I wear contacts. But if I didn't have these in, guys, I can't see for beans. I'm just telling y'all right now. Girl, we tripping, okay? I'm talking like can't drive, can't walk blind. Okay, you pop out these little lenses and stuff goes real fuzzy real fast and it's not great. It's a bad day. Uh, recently, I decided, or in the past, I decided I was going to save some money. Uh, so I went to a cheaper alternative uh, than I had been using. My ophthalmologist it was quite expensive. So I went to some place, might rhyme with Schmallmark. Uh, might not. Um, and I went there to get my prescription, saw the doctor, got my prescription, popped them on. Um, and something weird happened. Like within a couple of hours, um, I was like feeling dizzy and sick to my stomach. And I was like, this is weird. And I put my contacts in, it was fine. Okay. So put my glasses back on, dizzy, sick, can't see straight. I was like, oh, they must have messed it up. So I take them back and I'm like, yo, you messed this up because girls getting like blue. And they're like, no, no, it's just that you're older now. And these are called high definition lenses. And, um, you know, your high definition lenses are the problem. And I'm like, there's no high definition. I can't see anything and I feel like I'm going to throw up. I think there's a problem. No, no, you're fine. They did, did this twice until finally I went somewhere else and I got the right prescription, and I could see the right way. You know, sometimes in life, if we're not looking through the correct lens, it kind of makes us sick, can't see straight. You're walking blindly, and you don't have eyes to see, and you're groping in the dark, and you're, you're not going in the way that you think you should go. Man, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes the lens we view life through is our own agenda and not Jesus' finished work. Sometimes we look at the cross of Christ and we see a means to an end for ourselves and others and we will lack the ability to see God moments in front of us if we don't have our eyes cleared. If we're looking through our own agenda like those who follow Jesus, waving palms and saying, Hosanna, save us. We're going to lack the correct lens through which we can see the mission and the vision that Jesus Christ fulfilled. And oftentimes, we only see God as a means to our own ends. Sometimes we look at Jesus and we see a way to make more contacts for our business or the way to get the relationships we want because, oh, you know, they go to church. So if I go to church, then I'll align with them and then I'll get what I want. 
Or we see Jesus as a means to get other people to do what we want. So we take our Bible and we thump them on the head and we tell them, if you only just learned and read what I say it says, then you have an attitude that's adjusted for what I want. And then you can be my disciple instead of Jesus Christ. How many times do we use it as a weapon to beat and to bash and we look through it as a wrong lens and we miss what Jesus is really wanting to do, the God moments happening right in front of us because we see Jesus through our skewed lenses, just like the disciples early on. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that we all want to create God in our own image. All of us have lenses that we view Christ through that skew our perceptions of God. And if we don't correct our vision, it will leave us blind to the beautiful reality of who Jesus really is. In Luke 19, 28 through 40, we read about a God moment that we could just pass over. But I believe if we take the time to look deeper into it, we might be able to adjust our lenses and get a proper perspective and have a God moment ourselves. Luke 19, 28 through 34 reads this way. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Why the donkey? Why a baby cold? What's the point of all this? And to understand this, we have to pull back and look at prophetic words spoken long before Jesus said, go get that cold. And we look in Zechariah 9. Zechariah was a prophet long before Christ's time who was speaking about a future that God had given him in a vision. And this is what Zechariah says. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Daughter Zion here is Jerusalem and Israel, its nation. It says, Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to the river. And that is the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. I will free, excuse me, as you, as for you, because of my blood covenant, blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. You see, prophecy being fulfilled is one of the reasons why Jesus chose the colt, the foal of a donkey. In fulfillment of this and so many more prophecies, 
we see that Jesus, who Jesus is, and it tells us what kind of king he is. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was not a king that they were expecting to come. Jesus was a king that wouldn't be riding on a great war horse. He wasn't a man of war, poised for war, to take down the oppression. He was the prince of peace. As a matter of fact, I want to show you from this passage in Zechariah this morning, three things about Jesus. The first point I want you to understand is that Jesus is the king of the poor. The Hebrew word here is from the Old Testament. It describes the poor ones who remained faithful to God in times of difficulty, and that's called anawim. The anawim were humble people who were the faithful remnant. And Christ came for them. And such were you when Christ came for you. We are poor. We have no means of helping ourselves. We need a king. And he came to be our king. The king of the addicted and the abused. The king of the poor and fatherless and motherless orphans. The king who would love in a way that you've never been loved before. He's the king of the brokenhearted and the downtrodden. He's the king of the depressed and the anxious. He's the king of the bipolar. He's the king of the confused. He's the king of all of us who at one point in our life recognize, yo, (laughs) I am jacked up. The second point I want you to see about Jesus is that he might be the king of the poor, but he's a poor man among the poor. God came down and chose to live as a man born to poor parents. He worked among the poor. He told them, there, you know, foxes have holes to live in, but I don't even have a rock to lay my head on. I'm one of you. I'm like you. I'm with you. He was the poor man among the poor. And unlike Solomon, if you recall from the Old Testament, Solomon was given his father's strong back mule to ride in and declare, I am the next king in the line of David. David gave instructions in 1 Kings 33, "Um, take my mule. This would be a well-recognized, strong-backed animal that everyone would know was David's donkey. It would be his Ferrari, okay? People would see that mule and go, hey, King David's horse. And so when it was time, David said, you take Solomon, you put him on my horse so that everybody will know that this is my successor, that the kingdom is passing into his hands so that they know that he is going to be strong and he's going to overcome and he's inheriting my kingdom and my power. But we see Jesus, poor man among the poor, had to borrow what was never written. He had to borrow what wasn't even broken to ride into Jerusalem declaring his messianic kingship. You see, his kingship would never be like the old system. It would never be like David and Solomon. Rather, his kingship would reflect the humility and righteousness of a man who was not in pursuit of power or wealth or comfort. You see, Jesus came borrowing 
and even received financial support from women. He depended on God for his provision in the physical and in the spiritual. His kingship would not fail. Like David's line of successors failed, Jesus came in fulfillment of all the promises of God and would complete them. Where Solomon began seeking after horses and wives and all the power and riches of this world and came up wanting, Jesus was going to be the poor man among the poor. For the third reason, so that he could be for the poor. Jesus gave all of his service to us who are poor in spirit. And we have no spiritual power to correct the damages that we have done in our hearts and minds. There is nothing I possess that can help me get out of the hole that I dug myself into. There is no power like the power of Jesus that can break the chains in my life. The damage is etched into my brain from chemical use and abuse. Nothing can heal that but the power of Jesus Christ living in me. I have no means of grace to which I can call on or lend to that will reconnect me to the Father. There is nothing in me that I can call on or do that can repair the connection that I severed myself when I said yes to sin and yes to self. And there's nothing that you can do either. That's why Jesus is for us, the poor in spirit. He came to prepare a way that we can reconnect to the Father and we can mend what we broke, that he would be the reconnection. He would be the power. He would be everything that we needed to reconnect to God right here and right now. And the promise Christ gives us as the poor is this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's interesting to me that when I look at that opening spoken word video, one of the thoughts I embarrassed to say is, oh, look at the people they chose to act in that. Their teeth are jacked up. And I really felt like the Lord say, yeah, you're pretty jacked up too, kiddo. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You're right. He came for me. And he came for jacked up teeth and good teeth. He came for the poor who can't afford good cloaks. He came for those who couldn't provide much for Jesus and all they could do was grab palm branches off of trees. He came for you and for me and for them. And Luke 19, 35 through 38 continues, they brought it to Jesus, the colt, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices and singing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, the humility of Christ, King of the poor, poor among the poor, and for the poor, would have the people both receive and acknowledge him as king and lay down their, their coats. And Matthew adds palm branches before him. Now these two items, cloaks and palm branches, carry significance. 
You see, spreading out garments in front of somebody is an act of chivalry. You guys know the stories that we read where a lady is daintily walking with her bags from the market and the gentleman sees her and he takes off his cloak and with a flourish he lays it down in front of her so she doesn't mess up her feet in the puddle. Yeah, that's kind of what this is, but it's more deeply significant here. You see, here it is a show of deference and honor and spreading out Garments for somebody was an act of submission, and it was paid to royalty. But there's another way that cloaks are used in the Bible, and you might recall it, and it's a little eerie when you think about it. You see, cloaks were used to signify a witness of something that's about to occur. And we read about a situation in the Bible where this occurred. You see, when Stephen was about to be martyred, the uh, man Saul stood And he took the coats of those who were witnessing the stoning as a testimony that they were doing what was right in the eyes of the law. So here we have coats as a witness and cloaks as an honor and a deference. They're very significant. And it's interesting because the the other time that this is done, you might recall it from our series, Pretty Ugly People, when we talked about Jezebel and Jehu. You guys remember that story? Well, here we see when his companions, the companions of Jehu in 2 Kings 9, 13, they say, then in haste, every man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, that's Jehu, and blew his trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. When they did these things, it was to signify that the king was coming, the king they declared. And the people cut down branches and lay them before Jesus, but only John signifies that it's a palm branch. And after I looked into this, I think it's mind-blowing because in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, After this I look and behold a great number a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's significant. It's significant. And not only did Jesus proclaim that he was king of the poor, But he also proclaimed that he would bring peace. Zechariah 9.11, if you recall from earlier, says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations and he will rule, extend from sea to sea and river, that is the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus is the king of peace. The second thing the prophet shows us is that the king will be a king of peace and he will cause chariots of war and war horses to vanish and he will break bows and proclaim peace. And this is brought about in Jesus through the sign of the cross. You see, the cross is a broken bow. When you think about it, a cross is a broken bow in a certain way and God's true rainbow, which connects the heavens and the earth, is connected by the cross. 
And the new weapon that Jesus places in our hands is the cross, a sign of reconciliation, a sign of peace, a sign of love, a sign of forgiveness, and a sign of love that is even stronger than death. It's powerful. Third and finally, I want you to see Luke 19, 39 through 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Yo, man, you better make them calm down. You know you're not the king. I love Jesus. He says to them, I tell you. He replied that if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, Jesus knew what was happening could not be contained or restrained. His kingdom would come and would be declared by the poor and could not be shut up by religion. It was powerful. And Zechariah 9.9 starts out, Rejoice, O people of Zion. You see, religious cannot, religion cannot shut down the praise of a people set free. You can't shut me up. Can I just tell y'all something real quick? I went to a concert this week and I love Jesus. Love me some Jesus. Love celebrating and worshiping. But let me just tell you, I was a little put off. I was raised in a very charismatic Pentecostal culture. We allowed, man. And we move. And most of the concerts I've been to, you rocking, standing up, let's go. So we go to this concert and all these church folks are there and they sit down. I can't do this. I finally looked at my friends and I said, yo, we can't do this. So we stand up. And I mean, like, we just, oh, yeah. Clapping, dancing, jumping, shouting, singing partying. Why would you not party? You're paying $50 a person. Party for the love of God, right? And also shout, daughter of Zion, I know what Jesus has done for me. I know that he set me free. He didn't set me free so I could be a sad, sorry sack sitting on my derriere somewhere. He set me free so I could have joy and sing and shout. He set me free so that I could pronounce the joy of the kingdom of God every single place I go to. And when I stand in a concert and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, don't you even cut your eyes at me because you're not standing up. These people put millions of dollars in this production. Stand up so you can see it. That's just a side note for those people that went to that concert. Party, party, because Jesus' kingdom of peace is the entire world. You see, religion cannot shut down the praise of a people set free. Jesus shows with this act that he will be a universal king for all people. And Jesus' kingdom of peace is the whole world. Jesus' kingdom of peace is for all and extends to the whole world Every person, those of us with disabilities, those of us poor and powerless, those of us addicted, those of us abused, those of us who cannot read, those of us who are uneducated and anxious and depressed, those of us oppressed, to us, Zechariah says, the kingdom of peace is here and the king is coming and it extends from sea to the ends of the earth. And the ancient promise made to Abraham and to the fathers is replaced here by a new vision. The domain of the Messianic king is no longer a specific country or a specific people group. You see, his country is the earth, the whole world. Christ died for all. He did not die so you could keep your racism, your sexism, or your ageism. He did 
he did not die so that you could hold on to your hate and unforgiveness. He died so that we could all be free and look at one another out of brotherly and sisterly love. He died so that he would make it plain that there was only one king and one God and we aren't it. He is alone God. He is alone ruler. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you can look at people that way, then you might just have the lens through which God intended you look. You might just be in the kingdom mindset. So where has your vision been skewed? Where have you gone astray? Have you mistakenly believed that Christ came to validate your brand of religion? He did not. Do you think that Jesus came to give you a comfortable living? He did not. Do you think that Jesus came for white people only? He did not. Do you think that he came for the rich and the educated and the good looking with the good teeth? The important? He did not. Today as you hear the word of the Lord fulfilled in Christ Jesus, I challenge you to do the necessary work of overthrowing every skewed lens that you are viewing Jesus through. How many times... Have we done something clumsy while on our phone? Y'all, I clean walked into a wall. In a similar vein, how many times have we missed something because we were either texting or watching television or surfing the web? Listen, it's so easy in the fast-paced world we live in to trade the important for the momentary. And Jesus wants to enter our lives and transform every way we view life. Are you missing this because you're not paying attention? I want to challenge you to do three things. If you do these three things with me, I believe Good Friday and Easter will have a new meaning for you. And you will have a new power and a new lens. The first thing I ask and challenge you to do is for the next week, fast from media. Remove social media from your phones and from in front of your face. Remove the distraction of comparison and competition. Stop allowing social media and YouTube to disciple you. And lean into a time of praying and reading your Bible and talking to your children about God and participating in disciple-based community or small group. If you're not in a small group, dude, find one this week. God, even if it's just four this week, just do it. Fast from social media. Number two, look within. In these times of fasting, I want to challenge you. Have you traded your righteousness for self-righteousness? Do you think you're all good because you go to church? Or are you missing Jesus like the religious leaders because you're too concerned with your station in life and because you're too concerned with having things your way? Because being right isn't as important as being righteous. God has called us to live holy and blameless in his sight. Are you choosing your way instead of his way? The third thing I ask you to do is to evaluate your actions. What does your relationship with Jesus look like for real, for real? Is it in name only? Do you run around calling yourself a Christian and then act like a daggone fool and treat people with dishonor and disrespect? Look within what habits, what disciplines do you have in your life that are keeping you apart from a real awakening to God? Do you obey what Jesus said? 
Do you model your life after his or do you prefer the comfort and convenience over sacrificial and faithful obedience? Because this isn't a one and done thing, guys. This is forever. Do you call yourself a Christian and persist in what you know is sinful? Stop. Evaluate your actions. This is what Paul admonishes us in Romans 6, 12 through 14. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Christ came that you might live under grace. Christ came that he might be the king of the poor, a man among the poor, for the poor. And some of you have traded the righteousness of the king for the poorness of your choices. And I want to challenge you today, fast, look within, evaluate your actions. If this is you this morning and you feel God tugging on your heart, it's time to recommit to Jesus. It is time to say, I'm going to step up today. I'm drawing a line in the sand today. I'm going to make a commitment to follow Jesus for real, for real. I've strayed, but I'm coming back. We call that recommitment. Today, I want you to say, God, I'm back. I'm getting back on track. Today, I'm dedicating my life to you. If you want to say that, I would love for you to text, I'm back to 94,000, or click that UR code with your phone. Go ahead and take that picture. Get connected with us, because there is no life like a life set free. There is no life like a life in the grace of the king of the poor. It's so powerful. Won't you do it? If you're here today or if you're hearing this today and you want to say yes to Jesus and you're like, yo, what you said blew my mind. I didn't know Jesus was for me that way. I didn't know he could repair my connection to God. If that's you, I just want you to say yes to Jesus today. You can do that by snapping a QR code on the screen. Or you can say, that's me, no punctuation to 94,000. Text that and make sure you follow through all the prompts. Give us your info. Let us connect with you via text this week. We want you guys to know Jesus, the real Jesus, not the skewed religious garbage you might have been fed through childhood, but a real relationship with a real Jesus who really loves you. He has so much more for you in your life. He's for you. Would you guys pray with me? Father, today we dedicate ourselves to you, whether we're coming back or whether we're saying yes to you for the first time, we want to make a commitment to you. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the King who brings blessing upon blessing. You are the only rightful ruler of this whole world, loving the poor, of which I am the chief. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, would you help us as we take the time to fast and to look within and to evaluate our actions. Be with us. Help us to connect to you and see you in new and powerful ways. And we will give you the praise for it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday 
10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.